but first to Laura and Laura while Americans uh, concern themselves with shooting down a balloon Australian politics is palpitating with a torpedo um yes uh, it's 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 terrible philip every time i hear the the um the sort of you know headlines about thorpe i immediately think of ian thorpe is that is that making me shallow i'm not no, quite it's, sure no it's hence my pun yeah yes yes well your your pun's thrown me off i had to sort of stop and think about it for mm. a moment uh look i i don't know that pragmatically and realistically there there is a lot of palpitations going on philip i think there's actually a little bit of relief at the fact that lydia thorpe has left the greens over the uh issue of the voice um you know not wishing to be sort of a uh, raining on your parade but uh this was never going to work uh lydia thorpe has left the greens the greens uh within a matter of hours confirmed their support for The Voice. Uh, pragmatically, she has moved herself to a less sort of dangerous position for the body politic. She is more at the margins. She will be noisy. Her voice uh, is completely legitimate and needs to be heard, but she has lost her bargaining position by leaving the Greens. Uh, so essentially we can say it's almost certain that the legislation required to move uh, to have the referendum proceed will will go ahead, will go through the parliament well i i hate to um, argue but, the, but there are palpitations galore on with via twitter storms and so on many are questioning adam brandt's uh, ability as green's leader and the fact that he sort of failed to hold the ship together but uh, others suggest that she'll have even more say, even more leverage as an independent. Look, she will have leverage, um, Philip, but she won't necessarily have leverage on the voice, would be my take on it. Uh, you know, we don't know how Lydia Thorpe will vote on a range of issues unrelated to Indigenous affairs. She says um, she'll follow the, the party line on most things. Well, she says she'll follow the party line on climate issues. Um, now, one of the things that we know about people who splinter off and go their own way in the Senate is you can't quite work out where they're going to end up. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of them end up being much better legislators by the fact that they're actually forced to confront every issue on its own merits by themselves, you know, they can't sort of say, oh, well, I'll rely on somebody else to tell me what to think about that because I'm too busy. Now, that may happen to Lydia Thorpe. She's an intelligent, interesting young woman. Well, I mean, I say that from my perspective of age. She, you know, she's, but, she, you know, she's, she's a, an intelligent, interesting woman. And, you know, we don't know how she will develop as a legislator as a result. But all she has said is that she will basically be, you know, of, of a mindset with the Greens on climate issues, but she will not uh, stand with them on The Voice. Now, um, she has every right to, uh, now that she has left the Greens, to have a different position on The Voice, but the pragmatic assessment about the numbers is that it is now more than likely that the legislation to get the uh, the voice uh, referendum up 
which, you know, is a fairly important one, will get through the parliament. And I think, Philip, that this is something that is sort of lost uh, in all of this debate at both the beginning and end of the process. The question that will be put to the Australian people and what it would what the constitution would look like as a result has got to be debated by the parliament before it is put to a referendum. Once it is put to a referendum, it will then be a matter for the parliament to decide what the voice is. All that the constitutional change will be is that it will say Aboriginal people should be recognised and that they have a there is an obligation to listen to them. That is all it will say, you know, in what we know of what the constitutional change will be. The whole question of the voice, whatever that is, you know, who sits on it, where the officers will be, all of this sort of noise that we're getting, that's up to the parliament. You know, Peter Dutton, you know, with this sort of suggestion that it's all about, you know, details that we don't have and everything... You know, what do you want to do? Does he want to put all of this in the Constitution? That hobbles the Parliament. That that reduces the Parliament's capacity to say what this body should look like. Before I uh, depart from the topic of the torpedo, uh, she says, according to The Guardian, she wants to become the leader of the black sovereignty movement. Do you think that could uh, lead to the formation of a, a new First Nations uh, party? Philip, I have no idea. I've got no idea what, what support there is for that. Um, I mean, we've got these sort of elements of, um, you know, uh, of what uh, Lydia Thorpe is talking about, about um, the black sovereignty movement. We've got Warren Mundine talking about different things. We've got Jacinda Price talking about different things. I'm sorry, but there's there's a pragmatic question of numbers. Um, you know, is this a group that's going to um, sort of garner enough support to have a have a, um, a an impact on the electorate, or to have an impact on the vote in the parliament? I'm sorry, but it's not clear to me that it will. Well, right it's, it's, certain, it certainly improves the chances of the of the voice in the referendum. I acknowledge that. Now, mm. the Feds and the Northern Territory governments have announced a, a further two hundred and fifty million for addressing violence issues in Alice Springs, alcohol restrictions, a back and elbow concedes. All governments could have done better. Well, they could have done better, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, how fast that money moves into communities is really important. It's not just about alcohol, of course. Uh, 7.30 ran, I thought, a really good piece tonight going into communities and talking to people about, you know, what the issues are about, you know, you know really traumatised communities and what you need to do to fix them uh, or at least keep them stable uh, so that they don't go into town, so that they don't go out in search of alcohol. Um, the alcohol bans are obviously a really important issue. I think it's interesting that um, uh, the Prime Minister has essentially reached agreement with the Northern Territory Government that it's the Northern Territory Government that legislates this. And in the context of The Voice, Philip, I think it's interesting that 
Um, the Northern Territory Chief Minister was saying today, look, uh, we, we, we are going to legislate this, not the federal government, uh, because we have got greater capacity to talk to local communities, to work with them, to, to reach uh, agreements with them about what should happen. Now, I think that's interesting on a number of fronts. Obviously, there's the sort of overhang going back to the Howard era of uh, the intervention and the federal government sort of stepping in uh, over over the top of everybody. Uh, but th- 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 there's some interesting issues here about the voice, Philip. I mean, the voice is not just a proposal for a federal government body. It's also about state and local and territory governments um, talking to their local uh, Indigenous communities and dealing with them at, a, at, at that sort of level as Cle- well. Clearly, if the voice was in place, it might have played a significant and very helpful role in the current drama. It, it, it could have, Philip, in the sense that people sort of see the voice as being some blockage on legislation. I think the advocates of the voice would say, look, why don't you just ask us first? You know, there are all sorts of things that uh, we can do that don't involve legislation. It's just about asking us what will work for our communities. And I think it's interesting that the Chief Minister is saying we can work this out better in the Territory because they are very local issues and we have to solve them. Let's uh, let's segue to another place causing palpitations for some, and I refer to the Royal Commission into robo-debt with uh, Tudge and uh, Rachel, Rochelle Miller and, uh, and others being on display. It's an immense story, isn't it? It's an absolutely immense story, Philip, um, and it's an immense story because often these stories end up being relegated to being seen as, let's bash up on the former government or whatever. Now, look, without a doubt, uh, the former government has a lot to answer for on the Robo-Debt Royal Commission. You know, the the escalation of this program uh, purely, you know, without a doubt, purely as a fundraising mechanism so that the government could argue the debt and deficits case against Labor to say that it was delivering a, a balanced budget which was what the the driving force was behind this idea that that it was it was that base it was that it was that simple but i think uh it it has uh reflected in the most terrible way on the dysfunction of federal government in the broader sense you know not just about politicians at their most base level um exploiting and um what's the word uh, sort of describing people who are in, in really tragic circumstances as terrible people, uh, but the fact that the public service facilitated uh, and uh, assisted in this process and, and uh, you know, put in place all sorts of systems which, which were just, you know, which basically destroyed people's lives and nobody cared. I mean... I think the evidence provided uh, by Rochelle Miller, who was the media advisor to Alan Tudge last week, was some of the most spine-chilling stuff I have heard from government in my entire career. Including because, including her allegation that she placed stories with friendly right-wing media outlets 
uh, to, well, to tell the story, to run the narrative. Well, whether it was friendly or unfriendly, it was the sort of, it was this com- completely cold view of, well, we had no empathy for people who were, um, you know, re- welfare recipients who were receiving these multi, you know, these tens of thousands of dollars of debt assessments. We had no sympathy for them because they were all losers and, um, you know, uh, we didn't care about what happened to them. Our interest was in providing a counter-narrative to the story that, you know, this system wasn't working, um, that that they're all all useless doll bludgers or whatever. There was no... What was so striking was that there was no sense of anybody in the government of the day saying, wait a minute, was there a problem here? Maybe the system wasn't working. Maybe Maybe there's a fundamental problem with what we're doing here that... You know, the fact that we're trying to mix up the the social welfare and tax systems and, you know, there's all this evidence that suggests that that something isn't working, that it's wrong, that there are all these cases of people being charged these huge uh, and false um, debts or alleged debts that they're supposed to have racked up um, in, in false social security security claims, nobody's actually saying maybe there's a problem here. Yeah. Profoundly, profoundly distressing. Laura, thanks for that. I've been talking to Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30, and, of course, she'll be back with us same time next week. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.